Well, how was Sunday school? Yeah. And all those that didn't go, I know you are. Come next week. Serving in kids' church. Well, that's the Sunday school you were doing. It. Yeah, thank you for everybody who served in Sunday school for the kids' ministry. Um, it's been, uh, we just, we really felt, we were talking, we just felt like it was significant. Um, the Lord gave us some words this year. Uh, it gives us words every year, and one of them was believer to disciple. And so we felt like that was an important part. And so that when the Lord speaks something and says, I want you to, I want us to grow in our faith, in our calling, in our maturity, then it's not, it's just not just a church thing. Every one of us needs to take that word and say, Lord, how do I take the practical steps to begin stepping into that? So that's what we have done. That's why we started Sunday school. We're, we're actually saying, okay, we feel like we're supposed to, re, to begin to mature and grow in our faith. So what do we got to do? Let's start putting some mechanisms in place to do that. And so um, that's one of the prophetic words. Let me grab my water here. And so a disciple is a follower or student of a teacher, leader, or philosopher. But the Bible takes it much further than that. He says, if, uh, basically, a disciple of Jesus is someone who believes in Christ, the master, the teacher, but follows and obeys his teachings, strives to imitate and become like Jesus, lays his or her life down for Jesus, and helps others do the same. And so I also want to point out that in Scripture, really, believer and disciple are interchangeable, okay? But for the way we're using this, we're really speaking of people going from being just a fan to being on the team, right? Yeah, I'm a believer. I'm a believer in the Cowboys. How do you guys think they're going to do this year? I don't know. <laughs> that was pretty bad. <laughs> That's pretty bad. I'm right there with you. It's like, <laughs> whatever. But... I go from being a fan to actually joining the team. And so um, I want to talk about these uh, 10 characteristics of a mature believer. At some point, we'll kind of get into these in more detail, but I just want us to, to kind of put this before us. Now, I just want to make this caveat. We never arrive, all right? <laughs> Say amen to that, okay? We never arrive, but we should desire to be growing, and you should, you should be thinking, I want to look more like Jesus and mature next year than I am right now. You should be thinking that. All right, so let's go over this list real quick. Number one, you're passionately committed to Christ. Number two, extraordinary love for people. We're going to be known for our love. Number three, a servant's heart. We should be serving one another. We're... we're Jesus came, he said, not to be served, but to serve. That's what, that's a mature believer starts to walk in serving other people. Number four, submitted and led by the Holy Spirit. I want to, we, we should be hearing his voice on a regular basis and obeying. Number five, governed by the authority of God's word. Okay? This means we have a biblical worldview. This means that we filter our daily life through the Word of God. What's God's Word say about this situation? Not just what I want to do, what's God's Word actually say about it? All right? The decisions and, and all that stuff that we make on a daily basis should be like, what's God's Word say about this? Number six, we should live whole. We, we should strive to live a holy life, get healed from offenses, walk in the fruits of the Spirit. Number seven, this is the one I know that I've got a lot to, to, to work on, evangelistically bold. 
should be sharing our faith all the time. Number eight, engaged in biblical community. A mature believer recognizes that, that I'm actually an ear or a leg or an arm to this whole thing, and I can't actually function the way I'm supposed to function just in a vacuum. I need to be with other believers. Number nine, generous, not just with your money, but with your time, your talent, your resources. And number 10, you live on mission. Your life has one focus, to seek first the kingdom of God. Now, it's interesting. You think our, our uh, three Sunday school classes are all in here, right? Lives whole, life on mission, submitted by and led by the Holy Spirit. So that was on purpose. Uh, these are the things. And we, I felt like it was significant today that we um, began this. And hey, if you missed and you're like, oh, it's okay. Jump in next week. Jump in next week. All right, so it's clear we are to grow and to grow others. I want us to look at Scripture, uh, Matthew 28. This is some of our theme. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. So we need to be taught the things of God, and we need to be taught to obey them. Okay, so that's discipleship. We actually learn the commands of Christ. Let me ask you, do you know what the commands of Christ are? We're going to learn those commands, and then we're going to obey them. And so some of those we can be taught in a classroom, but to learning to obey them, that's really discipleship through a mentor. Somebody tell, keep helping you learn how to, hey, here's how you apply God's word to that situation. All right? And how do we do this? We do this through the church. How do we help people grow? Sorry, my mouth's dry this morning. I always hate when preachers do that. I should chug the whole thing, and you guys can all watch. Um, All right. This is how God has designed us to actually grow. Ephesians 4.11. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and their teachers. And their responsibility is to inspire the saints with uplifting messages, positive thinking, and life skills so that they can live a happy life. (sighs) That's a good word. Wait, does that say that? No, it doesn't say that. It says their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church. We all have a part of play in this. Now listen, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. Man, instead we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Now listen, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. Did you hear that? As one part does what it's supposed to do, it helps the other parts grow. So that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. This is the picture of what God has called the church to look like. This is why discipleship matters. 
We are dealing with so much immaturity in the body of Christ. We, we talked about 6% of, of Christians in America have a, have a biblical worldview. Only 35% of pastors have a biblical worldview. That's scary. And so they are tossed. When things sound good, they sound like truth, but because they don't know God's word, it's like, well, that sounds good. You know, as long as it's loving, it seems like that, that shouldn't be a big deal. So two weeks ago, we began looking at this uh, parable of the sower and the seed, all in the context of discipleship, all right? Jesus said this parable of the sower and the seed is the key to it all, okay? It's all the key. Why? Because it's all about the seed. It's about everything in God's kingdom and really Satan's kingdom too, because Satan's always a counterfeit in the kingdom. It's all about a seed. Sometimes when you hear your kids say something, you're like, where did that come from? It didn't just happen. It was planted a long time ago, and now you're just now seeing the fruit of what they said. And you want to deal with the fruit, and you need to be dealing with the root. Okay? So let's read. We we talked about the first two soils, and we're barely going to get into this third soil today. Um, And we'll do it again. We'll speak again on next week. So, okay, let's let's read it. Luke 8. And this is in all three of the synoptic gospels, but we're going to take Luke's uh, version today. When a great crowd was gathering and the people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up with it and choked, choked it. Some fell in good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears, let him hear. We talked about uh, two weeks ago, we talked about the parable, why God and Jesus used parables. I won't get into that today. Go, you can go back and watch that. But the, the disciples said, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Help me understand. So then he says, Now the parable is this The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but they have no root. They believe for a while and a time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. As for that, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast, and an honest and good heart bear fruit with patience. All right. So it's called the parable of the sower, but really, the sower and the seed, but really a lot of people say it really should be the parable of the four soils. All right. So because the seed doesn't change, it's the soil that matters. It's four different types of soil, and each soil determines whether the seed takes root and produces fruit. So we had the four soils. We've got the path, we've got the rocky uh, soil, we've got the soil overgrown with thorns, and we have the good soil. And the seed bears fruit only in the good soil. Okay, we get it? The seed represents God's word, and the sower represents the gospel, Jesus, or it could also represent those who go out to share the gospel. And the soil represents the human heart. Okay, we got all that? So like I said, we covered the first two soils a few weeks ago. First seed fell along path. And the Bible says literally they hear the word of God and the devil literally takes that away so that they can't receive. 
Okay, and it says that these people are not saved. The second soil we talked about is the seed was received with joy, but it never takes root. These people are referring to those who've confessed with their mouth. They have a head knowledge, but it never makes it way, their way down to their heart. They never really surrender God. How do we know that? But we think about it. If a seed goes in the ground and it never sprouts, does it ever produce life? No. It never produces life. So this is what Jesus is talking about. They receive it. They confess. Remember, you got to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. They confess with their mouth, but they don't actually believe in their heart. And therefore, the new birth never actually happens in their life. And um, this is the ones where, where Jesus says, says, some are going to say at the end of the age, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all this stuff in your name? And he's going to say, I'm sorry, I never knew you. It's a scary place to be. And today we're focusing on the third soil. The next two weeks we'll focus on the third soil. Some fell among the thorns. Thorns grew up with it and choked it. As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. Now what is this talking about? I really believe that what this is talking about is Christians. These are Christians who never step into maturity. They are saved, they're going to heaven, but their fruit never matures. Okay, they bear some fruit, they have eternal life, but they never come into maturity in their walk. They go to church, they give, they might even serve, but they never step into their calling and their destiny. They love God, but they have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God. And they're kind of trying to straddle the world and doing these things. That's exactly. They've got thorns and they've got, and they've got good fruit. They're both growing up. And you know what? That's really never effective, is it? God actually says, I want you to be hot or cold. Everybody else, I'm just going to spit you out of my mouth. It's hard, hard language. So there's a lot of questions we can ask here. Everybody with me? Everybody's kind of quiet today, all right? You've been getting God's word in you. You're just thinking, right? It's all right. Um, there's a lot of questions we can ask here. So um, first we can ask, what is fruit? What does mature fruit look like, and how do we mature? So let me just answer that. Our fruit is our character and the good deeds and the works that we do. Okay? Let me say it again. Our fruit is our character and our good works. Galatians 5 tells us this. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All right, that's the fruit the Holy Spirit uh, produces in us. How we love people. Are we patient with difficult people? Are we faithful in our call? Do we have self-control over our passions and our desires? All that stuff is the fruit that is produced out of our life. You get it? All right. He also tells us what the opposite fruit of the flesh. There's not just fruit of the spirit, but there's fruit of the world, there's fruit of the flesh. And he tells us what that looks like. So these, it's very clear. These are people with sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, envy, drunkenness, all that, wild parties, okay? That's the fruit of that, all right? And John, do you mind just turning me up just a little bit? I feel like I'm kind of having to yell a little bit. 
Secondly, our good fruits are not just our character, but it's the stuff that we do. It's the works that we put out, all right? So Colossians 1.10. So, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. I've got a lot of scriptures today. Do you guys mind if I read a lot of scripture? Nobody? Yeah, you should be happy for that. All right. Romans 7.4. So my dear brothers, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ, and now you're united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. So our character and the good deeds. And if you notice something that's really interesting there about the fruit that we have, do you notice a lot of these things have to do with how we treat people? It's a lot about how we treat people how we love people, how we're patient with people, how we give to people, how we care for people. Matthew 7 says you can identify them, Jesus talking about people, by their fruit, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, you, just as you can identify a true tree by its fruit, so you can identify by their actions. Now, I want you to listen to me something here. It's really important. And uh, when Paul's talking about the different fruits of the flesh... The different fruits of the Spirit, when Jesus is talking about a tree known by the fruit, I want you to understand, when he's talking about the fruit of the flesh, which is envy, drunkenness, lust, and all that kind of stuff, and the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and patience, listen to me. This is fruit, not the root. Now, this is more profound than you can think. This is not the, this is fruit of your life, not the root. Envy, drunkenness, looking at porn is the fruit of what's really going down inside the root of your heart. It just comes out in different ways. We spend a lot of energy working on the fruit. This is called behavior modification. Man, if I could just not have these outbursts of anger, if I could just kind of work on this, and man, I need, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it's really frustrating work. And Jesus is saying, I want to deal with the root, and then the fruit will be taken care of. You're going to get the, the Holy Spirit's going to make this more clear to you. I just want you to think about that, because it, it, I was thinking about it last night. It's really not what I'm saying, but the idea is really much deeper than just the surface because a lot of the times we're dealing with the fruit. Why did my kid do that? Why did he say those things? I don't, I don't understand. What's, I need to do this. I need to do this. I need to ground him over here. And really what we need to be going is where was the seed planted and what's the root of why he's actually doing that? Let's get to the bottom of that and we'll get some things cleared up and fixed in their hearts in our own life. John 15 says, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. 
So the only way to get to the root is you let Jesus get inside and you begin to, you know, spend time in his word. You spend time in prayer. You spend time with worship. You let other believers help you get to the root. You protect what you watch and what you listen to, who speaks into your life. The closer to get, we get to him, the more we produce good fruit. Now, why is this so important? I'm, gonna, I'm about to give you a big thing here. Why is this so important? Because Jesus makes the connection that the fruit we produce is directly related to the rewards and the crowns we receive in eternity. It's a deep thing, I just said. I know everybody's thinking. He makes the connection. The, the works that we do, the way we live, the fruit that we produce is directly related to, at the end of the age, the crowns that we receive and the rewards that we receive in heaven. That's why this is a big deal. Let's look at it. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water... Because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Do you see that? The good deeds is connected to the reward. Let's keep reading. A, sin, a faithful, sensible servant is one whom the master can give her the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds the servant has done a good job, there will be reward. I tell you the truth. The master will put the servant in charge of all he owns. What are we talking about here? We are the servants. He is the master. He has entrusted us with responsibilities here on the earth. He's given us gifts. He's given us provision. He's done all of that stuff, and he's, and he's saying, how are you taking care of the stuff? How are you stewarding this? And how you do that is connected. How you produce fruit, how you multiply what God has given you is directly related to what you receive after this life is over with. Luke 6, 22, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. How you deal with persecution. Are you ashamed of Christ? Or do you, in the midst of all, say, no, he's who I serve. That's directly related to whether you get a reward in heaven or not. Ephesians 6, 8, you want to keep hearing some more? Come on, we'll keep them going. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Let's keep going. 1 Peter 1, 17, and remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do, so you must live in reverent fear of him during the, your time here as temporary residents. This is all talking about how you live, your character, your holiness. He's saying how you live, the fruit you produce, you will one day be rewarded or judged based upon that. Now, I know this is a heavy word, but it's important. How we live matters. How we bear fruit matters. It determines the reward we have in this life and most importantly, the life to come. And let me just tell you, if God keeps talking about rewards over and over, it's, it's over 100 times in the New Testament. If he keeps talking about rewards over and over, don't you think we should think about it? 
and care about it too? Oh, well, Jeff, Pastor Jeff. Oh, I don't care about any of that stuff. I, I just want to serve God. And I'm like, well, aren't you so spiritual? <laughs> it's clear in Scripture this is the big deal. It determines whether we live in a 20,000 square foot mansion in heaven or a van down by the river for eternity. Some of you guys will get that. Now, I'm not talking about salvation. Hear me. This is not about salvation. But Jesus and the apostles keep telling us rewards are a big deal. Maybe we should care about it too. Producing fruit is a big deal. There's tons of, uh, of uh, parables Jesus talks about. Remember the one where he gave one ten, one five, one one. Who was the one he was so angry about? The one that took the one and buried it in the sand. He's like, get out of here because you didn't reproduce what I gave you. This should sober us up, guys. But let me just make sure we're, we're clear. We're not talking about salvation. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the results of works, so that no one may boast. This is nothing to do with salvation. But keep reading. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're saved by grace through the blood of Jesus, but that salvation should reproduce something. And once we become into the kingdom of God, he's saying, okay, now you have a new, uh, a new mission. And I want that mission to be accomplished, and you're going to be judged one day on how you fulfilled that. Okay, thank you, Siri. Now I want you to listen to this. It gets... I wish I could say this gets better. It just gets deeper and more sobering. So next week it'll be better. All right. Just, but just hold, hold on because we need to hear this. 1 Corinthians 3 says this. Paul talking, because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it. Okay. So he, as the apostles, they laid the foundation of the gospel and now he's saying others are building on it. We're all building on it. 2,000 years there have been people building on it. Whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we've already have, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, the builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. He's saying there's going to be some people, they're going to make it to heaven by the skin of their teeth, but everything that they have done is going to be burned up. We spend a lot more time worrying about this world than the next we live 80 years, 90, 100, maybe, maybe if we're lucky. Eternity in the next forever. And everything we do is based that we receive in the next life to come is based upon how, what we do with these 
years on this earth. So that's why the parable of the sower is about Christians who produce no fruit. They love Jesus, but their lives don't show it. They live like the world. They don't reproduce other disciples. They don't give of themselves. Remember, fruit is meant to be eaten. Let me ask the question, what kind of fruit are you letting people eat from you? Bitterness? Ugliness or joy, peace? Is it life-giving to people or is it poison to people? It matters. So I'm going to bring up some more sobering passages here. <laughs> we all good. I love you guys. All right. There are two different judgments that we see at the end of the age, the end of the world. The judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne of judgment. These are core teachings that every believer should know and understand. Do you hear me? These are the core foundations. Hebrews actually talks about, here's some of the elementary teachings. This is an elementary teaching which I'm about to give you. The judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne of judgment. We have to understand these things. They should Uh, Be sobering to us. When someone dies, the Bible teaches us we are immediately judged on one thing. We are immediately judged on did we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior? Did we surrender our life? Did we allow His blood to cover us, our sins, and make us right before God? And the answer to that determines whether we go to the present heaven or the present hell. Now listen the present, because that's not, that's not our final destination. Okay? Second Corinthians says, yes, we are fully confident we would rather be, this is Paul talking about, talking, be away from our earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. It's clear in Scripture, when you die, you breathe your last breath. If you are a believer, you're immediately in the presence of God. Say amen to that. Thank you, Lord. And when we die, the Bible calls what we go to, a, what we hear, a third heaven, which is with God, but ultimately God is going to set up a new heavens and a new earth. And that will be our, our final uh, destination for eternity. When unbelievers die, the Bible talks about going to a temporary place of torment, a holding place called Hades. That unbelievers go while waiting for their final judgment, which is hell or the lake of fire. Okay? Uh, Go read the story of Lazarus in Luke 16 in The Rich Man. It's fascinating. The rich man is in pain. There's these, there's this huge chasm. On one side is the, is the people who were righteous and the, on the other side were people who had did not live for God. And there's this huge chasm. You, you read the story and Lazarus was a good man who died and the rich man was a bad man who died and, and they're looking at, at each other across this chasm and the rich man saying, Lazarus, I'm in torment down here. Will you come and say, will you go back and tell somebody, I just want a drip, drip of water, a drop of water. Will you go back, and when you go back and tell them how bad it is down here. So when Jesus died, the Bible says, he went down to the paradise side, the good side of the righteous people. Remember, there's 
one side where there's Hades, there's the other side where there's paradise, huge chasm in the middle they can't get across. Jesus goes down to the, the, the righteous side and he preaches the gospel to them. And he tells them basically, hey, you live righteous, but you had no way to get to heaven because you didn't have the blood of Jesus. Now I have died on the cross, and now you can receive. He sets the captives free, and all those people, Abraham, everybody, Jacob, everybody had lived for God, they now have access into the presence of God because of what the blood of Jesus did. Okay? But the side that, had, that was Hades where people were that died, that did not believe, that were not righteous, that side is still there from what we hear and see in Scripture. So believers who die, they go to heaven. Unbelievers, they go to this place called Hades, awaiting for their final judgment. After Jesus returns, there's going to be two judgments for believers and unbelievers. You guys with me? Is this interesting? Okay, good. What else are you going to say? Um, <laughs> believers will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. Unbelievers will be judged at the great white throne judgment. Now, I know there's a whole lot of things we can talk about. We can talk about the tribulation, the second coming, the millennial reign, all that stuff. I, I don't have time to get into that today. But I want us to read about these two judgments because we have to understand how important producing fruit is. You think, oh, it's probably good that I'm... No, no, no. This matters. It really matters. Revelation 20. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it for his presence... From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found them. Most likely... This means that the, the old earth and heavens had disappeared. And that there's some place that the, the great white throne of judgment and all of the unbelievers that have ever lived, it says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. So we see two books opened up here. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Listen to this. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged each according to what they had done. So it's clear here. Death, the grave, Hades, gave up all these souls, and they came before the judgment seat of God one by one. However, God is going to be billions, but, you know, God can do anything. For a day is a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. Who knows how he's going to do it? All these people, Hades, death, the grave, gives up all these souls... And they come before God for the final judgment. And it says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So here we see, so we see the dead have come up great and small standing. This is, this is the famous people. This is the not famous people. This is the influencers. These are the, ins, the, the, the obscure people that nobody knows about. Every person, there's going to be people, unfortunately, there that have had ministries that weren't really li living for Jesus. There's going to be all kinds of people standing before the great white throne of judgment. And it says these two books were opened up. 
One was the book of life. And the book of life was opened up in, to look and see if their name was written in the Lamb's book of life. And of course we know, because believers have already been taken care of up to this point, that every person's name at this great white throne judgment will not be in the Lamb's book of life. But there was a second book that was opened up. And the people's deeds were judged based upon how they lived. And the Bible says it will be handed out judgment, how severe their judgment and punishment will be for the rest of their life according to how they lived. First is the Lamb's book of life. Did they receive Christ? No. Secondly is now we're going to look at your life and how bad, how, how did you live? There will some be some that won't be as severe and some will be very severe. And the Bible says that those people then will all be thrown into the lake of fire. It should make our heart hurt for people that are lost. It should make us weep. Now, this is tough to hear, but let me just say this God is just. He's not like us. His ways are not, his thoughts are not like ours. He knows people's thoughts and intentions. They will also be judged on what they know and hear. Romans tells us that every person, somehow, God has revealed himself and there is no excuse. And we have to accept that as God's justness. Some ask, how can a loving God send someone to hell? Well, let me just tell you, I've said this before. God sends no one to hell. Hell is the place you go to pay for your own sins. God has given a free gift to every single person. He says, look, all you got to do is accept my son. And it's all paid for. It's all taken care of. But many choose not to accept that way. And we see another judgment. And I'm coming to a close here. Called the judgment seat of Christ. This is only for believers. We see a couple scriptures, others indirectly speak to it. Romans 14, why do you pass judgment on your brother or, do, why do, or, sorry, or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow before me and every tongue shall confess. So each of us will give an account of himself to God. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good and evil. The judgment seat of Christ is not for salvation that has already been decided, and this isn't for punishment. This is purely for rewards. And you will be rewarded whether you live for God's glory or for yourself. Whether... How you used your time, how you used your money, your possessions, your property, whether you sought salvation for others, how you treated people, were you faithful in the call, all the words you have spoken, our attitude towards our brothers and sisters, our work will have to be accounted for. Everything we will stand before God and he'll look at it all. And it says, 
we read this already, but on judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. And if the work survives, that builder will receive reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up here. We're going to be judged not only for what we did, but for the motives in which we did them. We're going to be judged on how we loved people, how we treated people. We're going to be judged on what we did with what he gave us. Our possessions, our gifts, the circumstances, the people he's put in our path. I think there's going to be a lot of people in heaven that we weren't even expecting to see there, honestly. (laughs) But Jesus makes the statement, everyone who's given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much return and will inherit eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. God's just. And here's the thing. He's just, but in that moment, in that time, it will be too late to change anything. What's done is done. How you live your, how you live your life on earth matters. And the mark of a true disciple is obedience. We can't do everything for everybody. We're just obedient to what Christ has called us to do. When God tells you to give, you give. When he says, hey, when you don't have peace about it, you pause. When you feel conviction over what you're watching or listening, you put it away. When you feel something isn't too important, you're you're sacrificing things, you, you, you just say no. When someone is in need, you help. So I'm gonna leave with this question, who are you really living for? When everything's burned up, this life's over, all your stuff is gone, what's going to count? And you have to ask yourself a lot of questions. What's more important, your name or his name? Your desires or his desires? What's more important, that you sacrificed your family to get that promotion or you sacrificed your job to get your family? That you sacrifice everything to get that kid that scholarship or you sacrifice everything to get that kid to know Jesus. That you're happy or you're obedient. Sometimes when we're obedient, it means sacrifice. It means tough things. I'm not saying that these things are mutually exclusive. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with getting a scholarship. Please hear me. Nothing wrong with getting a good job. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, you know, the motives of your heart. Jesus said, if anyone wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you are yourself lost or destroyed? I was um, 
JJ hadn't been feeling good, my 10-month-old. That's why Sarah's not here. Sarah, they've, they've been a little sick this week. And I was laying down with JJ yesterday afternoon. I was going to take a little 20-minute nap and put him in his bed. And three hours later, I woke up. <laughs> but when I woke up, the Lord spoke something to me. Um, I don't know about you. I, for some reason, he speaks a lot to me when I just wake up. Uh, there's something, uh, maybe I've just been a, you know, mober I can hear. And he spoke to me specifically about us and you guys and, and, and all of us, really. And the word I heard was, Jeff, I want you to talk to people about compartmentalizing their spirituality. I'm really spiritual around these people. When I go to church, I talk about all these things. But when I get with the ladies on Friday night, yeah, I don't really, they're going to think I'm weird. When I'm hanging out with the guys at work, maybe I kind of go along with things because I don't want them to think I'm crazy. I don't want them to think I'm weird or I, I don't want to not be invited to this or be left out of this. I don't want anything. And I just felt the Lord say, some of you are really compartmentalizing this and saying, I'll be here spiritual, but over here I can't go. And the Lord's saying, I'm asking you today, will you go all in? I'm telling you, at the judgment seat of Christ, your friends that you were afraid of embarrassing will not be there. Those co-workers you thought were you were going to embarrass, or they're not going to be there. You're going to be standing before you and Jesus. And he's going to give a reel of your entire life. The highlights, the lowlights, your motives. And all that's going to matter is, did you bear fruit? Did you bear fruit? What did you do with what I gave you? And I don't want anybody in this place to go, oh, man. Oh, God. My work was burned up. I want everybody in this room to receive a crown. <laughs> and you know what we'll do? We'll take those crowns and we'll lay them at the feet of Jesus. So what we're going to do is we're going to take communion. And uh, look at this. We're getting out before noon today, man. <laughs> Okay, we did get more, 15 more minutes. All right, we feel good about that. But. but before we take communion, just hold on to it for a second because I want to have a little moment between you and Jesus. I'm just going to have you guys turn. If you can turn it up just a little bit louder so we can... Because what we're going to do with communion is we're going to reaffirm our commitment to Jesus. But before we do that, you need to have a little bit of moment with Jesus. And I want you to begin to think and ask the Lord, spend a few, we're just going to take a minute or two. And I want you to ask the Lord, God, am I all in? 
Am I all in? Have I given everything to you? Lord, I don't care anymore. I just want to hear, well done, good, faithful servant. That's all I want to hear. So I'm going to have them play, and I'm going to just take a minute or two, and I want you to just do some, some heart work right there on your own. And then we're going to take communion, and then that's going to be our point to do a recommitment to the sacrifice of Jesus and say, because you sacrificed it all, God, I, I sacrifice myself. So let's take a moment here. Jesus, we take inventory of our soul. Lord, I take that foot that's in the world. What people think about me, that I'm rich, that I, what I have, that I, the wealth, the ambition, Nothing wrong with those things in themselves, but Lord, they've become more important than they should be, Father. I take that foot out of the world. And you said the only way I can bear fruit is when I abide in you. So Lord, I, I make the decision. I'm all in. Every part of my life. I no, no longer compartmentalizing this relationship. If they think I'm weird, they think I'm weird. Who cares? They don't invite me to these things. Why, why do I even want to go anyway? God, I just lay it all down for you, Jesus. I lose my life to gain life in you. here together for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when given thanks he broke the bread and he said this is my body for which is for you do this in remembrance of me yes anybody I'm sorry if you haven't raise your hand if you haven't gotten communion Raise your hand. 
This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So Lord, we just take this symbol of your body that was broken and crushed for our healing, for our wholeness, for our life. We don't have to live the way the world tells us we need to live. We don't have to do the things the world tells us to do, Lord. We recognize once again what you did on the cross. Broken, bruised for us, Lord. I just want you to picture Jesus hanging on that cross. He was naked. The Son of God. Exposed to the world. He was not ashamed of us. Lord, we don't want to be ashamed of you. And so, Lord, in remembrance, right now, we just take this bread and say, Lord, go ahead and take it. Bring the healing to my body. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink. It's in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This was a covenant. Jesus was saying, I'm giving you all of me for all of you. Have you kept your part of the bargain? Have you kept your side of the covenant? Lord, you gave everything for me. Have I given you everything for you? So, Lord, we reaffirm this covenant. Some of you just need to make a commitment. Lord, I'm sorry. I have not been... I have not been seeking after you, Father. I have turned my back. And I repent, Lord. And as I take this cup, what I'm doing right now is I am reconfirming my commitment to be a part of this covenant. We are in agreement together, Lord. You gave everything, Lord, and I'm called to give everything to you. Let's take the cup. Come on, let's just worship him. Thank you, Jesus. You're so worthy. 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 So what I want to do here is we're just going to end with a little worship. And I'm going to just ask any of the prayer team to come forward. I, I was, if you just want to have, do some business with God, you can come down and do some business with God. If you need somebody to pray with, prayer team, can you guys come forward? I'm about to pray over you and formally, formally dismiss you, but if you're in this place and you're saying, I really need to get things right with God and I need someone to agree with me in prayer, I need to, or I just need to come down here and just repent before the Lord, let's do it. So, Lord, we just thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you. You are just. You are just. 
Lord, one day we're going to give an account for everything we did, Lord. And I want to hear, good job, well, good job, good and faithful servant, well done. I want to hear that. I want everybody in this room to hear that. Lord, we want to enter in. And Lord, we, if you say rewards are a big deal, Lord, then we should be thinking about, I want a reward in heaven because, Lord, I, I did everything I could to follow and serve and honor you, Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray for every person in this room, Father, that even maybe they haven't fully realized or fully thought what this meant, but, Lord, you would begin speaking to them, Lord, about their own lives, Lord. Each, all of us, me too. How do we grow? How do I grow, Lord? I want to produce great fruit for you, good works and character and holiness, Lord. I want to do it, Father. Let your word bring healing, encouragement, and life to every person in this room, Father. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen.